And folks, this segment of the show is brought to you by our friends over at TaylorMade and the TaylorMade TP5 and TP5X golf balls played by Ricky Fowler, John Rom, Rory McIlroy, Dustin Johnson, and Jason Day. It's the hottest tour ball in golf. You know those names, but thousands of other golfers have already made the switch to TP5 and TP5X. And now both TP5 and TP5X are available in high visibility yellow, and I love the yellow golf ball. It's time for you to make the switch. Check it out online by going to TaylorMadeGolf.com for more information. All right, now back in making his seventh appearance with us here on Next on the T is Dr. Bob Jones IV. And as you all know, Doc is the grandson of Bobby Jones. He was born and raised in Pittsfield, Massachusetts, which is located in the very western part of the state near the New York state line. Now lives northeast of Atlanta here. Doc has a bachelor's degree in English literature, a master's in divinity, and a doctorate in clinical psychology, and he's now working as a sports psychologist. Doc is one of those people who makes everything and everyone he comes in contact with better, and that includes this show as well, I have to tell you, because, you know, Doc has been wonderful and very generous with his time over the years, and every single time he comes on, I walk away from our conversation feeling a heck of a lot better, and I'm very excited he is back with us again tonight. Here on Next on the T. Hey, Doc, Chris and Bob here. Thanks for coming back tonight. Hi, Doc. Hey, guys. It's great to be with you. And, Bob, it's nice to virtually meet you. Oh, same to you, Bob. And I hope I don't deviate from your normal conversation about sports psychology. But uh, being the first time I've spoken with you, I probably want to pick your mind about your grandfather a bit. Oh, not a problem. Not a problem. Glad to do it. So. Doc, let's start off with a couple of easy softballs. I mean, you know, life here under right. quarantine has been a challenge here in, in Atlanta and in Georgia and across the country. I'm, I'm curious to get your thoughts. How, how are you and the folks around you here handling life in quarantine? Um, actually, it's been, uh, it's been pretty good. You know, for the last, uh, for the last, uh, oh, I guess six weeks or so in Georgia, we've had it kind of loosening up for us, which has been a good thing. But, um, I've been doing a lot of my my work uh, by telehealth for years, so for me this was just a very easy switch. And um, the interesting thing is that I have found that most of my clients have handled this very very well. Um, I've been very pleased with how they've handled it. The athletes that I work with, I think they've had a bit of a tougher time with it because. You know, it's it's uh, even though golf courses really never did close, although se several of them chose to, uh, the fact that they weren't able to get the level of competition that they were used to having, I think, was difficult for them. But now that tournaments are starting up again, they're getting back into their rhythms, and I think things are going pretty well. Yeah, I was curious, Doc, because um, several of the of the players, particularly some of the teaching professionals, you know, and they're the folks that, that I felt, uh, really badly for because, oh, yeah. you know, with nobody on practice tees with, with, uh, limited to, to no golf, the teaching professionals have had nobody to teach and they're essentially independent contractors. So if there's nobody to teach, there's no revenue coming in. And, and, uh, I was, I, I would have guessed that you would have heard from some folks and that have been a, uh, a pretty stressful time not knowing you know, when the next opportunity to get back out and teach people was going to be. You know, I think that's right. And and I really feel sorry for a lot of them. Now, you know, we were very fortunate uh, down at the Bobby Jones Golf Course that um, 
they were um, they stayed pretty active even through most of it. I mean, you have to be careful to do social distancing. Um, and then I've also noticed that there are some other teaching professionals who have really stepped up into offering uh, more uh, video technology and video lessons mm -hmm. where basically you just become an online subscriber to them and they're a, and you send them a video of your swing and they analyze it and send you some recommendations back so i think i think like everything else this has sort of forced people to rethink uh how they do things um to putting it this way it's kind of like this when you're going along on a fairly decent round and all of a sudden you get a double and then a bogey you kind of have to retool a little bit get your uh, and keep your wits about you and make whatever changes you can to accommodate the different circumstances and i think uh, i think that a lot of a lot there've been a good number of golf professionals who have been able to do that some that got got caught flat-footed uh but you know it's it's just been a, it's just been a hard time and i and i think the key is uh just kind of keeping your wits about you and making the best of it that you can it's interesting you bring up that that point about a round and and uh all of a sudden you start to stumble and you get the double and then you get a bogey and etc because that's one of the other things i wanted to talk with you about tonight doc it's really about confidence yeah. and that you know, that whole piece that uh, your grandfather talked about how golf is played on that five-inch space between our ears. Um, you know, we see it, one of the guys, and I'm a huge Jordan Spieth fan. Everyone on the show knows that. Um, and, I, and I worry about Jordan from a confidence perspective. Uh, and he sort of lost his way for the better part of two seasons now. But w when that starts to head south, and you, whether you've had a couple of bad holes and you got to try to regroup to save the round, or you've been going badly like Jordan has for the last couple of seasons, how do you get that back? What do you do with your players to try to get them back? I think one of the things that I do is when all of a sudden, if things start moving south, uh, what often happens is that tension starts to enter the golf, enter the golfer, enter the golfer's mind and, and their body. And so what happens is they they kind of decide, oh, I've got to really bear down and work really hard and get some of these shots back or have a good tournament or this, that, or whatever the, whatever the goal is. Um, one of the things that I work on a lot with, uh, with my, uh, my clients is I always tell them when things go south, that is the time really where you should get even calmer and even more focused. You have plenty of time to panic, throw a club, have a hissy fit, whatever you want to do. You have plenty of time to do that after the round is over or after the tournament is finished. But while you're in the middle of that, when you have something going south, that is the time to actually get calmer, more focused sticking to the shots that you know you can hit. Um, I, I, I don't mean to, I don't, I don't ever like to use myself as an example, and having said that, I'm going to do exactly that. Um, I was playing a round of golf over at Sage Valley last weekend, and I 
came into the 18th hole and I was um, seven over par. And so, you know, for me, uh, you know, for a guy that's got an eight, you know, 8.2 index, that's not too shabby. And, you know, I blew my tee shot way to the right. And I thought, oh, gosh, my first instinct was, you know what, I really want to break 80. I've got to do something dramatic here. And then all of a sudden I backed away and I thought, wait a minute, what in the world am I doing? I just need to hit the shot I can hit here. So I turned to my caddy. I said, what do you think? He said, I'd take, I'd take your five wood and just hit it right over the bunker on the left and you'll have a nice easy pitch up to the hole. And so basically that's what I did. Uh, and then, of course, proceeded to leave a 12-foot putt totally in the throat. And, you know, that's a, but that's another story. But what I was very <laughs> pleased about was that I managed the situation very, very well. I didn't let my expectations outrun my reality. And see, that's what I think can happen quite a bit, whether it's Jordan Spieth with a bad couple of seasons or whether it's me trying to break 80, or whether it's some guy trying to win his club championship, or whatever the task is, or whether it's somebody who's just trying to figure out how do I deal with the coronavirus and, and my work. What my job is at that point is just to stay as focused as I can and execute what I know how to execute. And that's really all you can do. Doc, one more on that topic. Um, when I think of when I was watching Jordan this past weekend and he had, you know, he had started off really, really well. And then on Sunday, he had to come from behind and he got himself sort of back into the thick of it on the back nine on Sunday, you know, on 13, he's down by, you know, two shots and then steps up on 14 and hits his drive way right out of bounds. And essentially that, that was all she wrote. Um, yeah, but. One of the things that I've heard Michael Breed talk about is, you know, you've got to consider a win even when you don't win. And that is, you know, Jordan may be looking at it by saying, hey, I was hitting meaningful shots late Sunday <laughs> afternoon in a golf tournament. I haven't done that in a while. So that's a win. The opposite, the, the person that might look at it and say, my glass is half empty as opposed to half full is I had a chance and then I blew it. How do you teach right. you know, folks to focus on the right thing? It's, it's like any mental discipline. It's like learning any good habit. You just have to learn how to do it. Now, a couple of things that I do is like I, I try to make sure that people are taking care of themselves physically, cognitively, in other words, how they're thinking, and emotionally. And if they're managing those three things well, then those problems have a way of taking care of themselves. But I want to bring this back, and this is another thing I always like to work with with, with my clients on. Think of it this way. Um, like this this thing with, uh, you mentioned Jordan. Yeah, you know, that, that tee shot on 14 could have really done him some damage. But I guarantee you that would have been, let's see, there would have been 15, 16, 17, 18. That would have been after 68, on the 68th or 67th hole. I can guarantee you that there were opportunities that he had that he missed in those first 67 holes. Had he made those opportunities, the blown tee shot wouldn't even have mattered, right? 
So it's not just right. necessarily that he collapsed or that he played badly. He did okay. He just hit a bad spot. And uh, you're right. He got very deep into Sunday. There was a lot of progress there. And I think it's a good thing. I think it's just a real, it was a good thing. Probably had he had a couple of things go differently earlier in the first, you know, first three and a half rounds, it may not have even been an issue. Bob, questions for Doc? Yeah, sure, Doc. I'll uh, I'll stay on that mental aspect of golf, and I'll, maybe I'll save some of these other questions for the next time we speak. But as far as sure. your training in sports psychology, uh, it must give you a, an incredible uh, view of how your grandfather thought at times. I'm sure you probably we we've read that he had a temper at times, uh, that he was an incredibly good sportsman at times. Um, but I'm sure you, having known what he went through and uh, his victories and uh, other things he went through in his life, uh, tell us a little bit about his overall makeup. I mean, mentally, was he a very, very intense guy? Was he able to control it most of the time? What made him the, the great player he was? He was extremely intense. Uh, there are basically two types of people. There, uh, and, and the overwhelming majority of the people are like he was where they tend to run hot in tense situations. So you're really working with them on trying to hold that affect or that emotion or that intensity in check. And that was the hardest thing he had to learn. Uh, and the way he learned it um, was basically by getting a letter after a temper outburst from George Herbert Walker, the then president of the USGA, telling him that unless he learned to control his temper, his applications for USGA championships might not be accepted. And uh, that was a real eye-opener for him. And the way he learned to do it, um, he actually was, again, decades ahead of his time. He started focusing on his breathing, uh, making sure that he was always taking nice, even, deep breaths. Uh, one of the other things that he did was uh, he actually he was a smoker. And while I would never encourage that, I will say that nicotine does quite a bit in helping you kind of stay calm. That's why people who do smoke, when they get under stress, they smoke more is they're looking for that nicotine. Uh, the third thing that he did was he paid very, very close attention to the small muscles of his face. Because he found that if he could keep the small muscles of his face quiet, then he could keep the rest of his body quiet very easily. And so what he did was he said that he never wanted anybody to know how he had played on a hole by looking at his facial expression. He wanted a birdie or an eagle to look just the same as a triple bogey. And as long as he could do that, he felt like he was able to keep it right in that nice range where he could function most efficiently. So that that's that's what he did. Fascinating. And obviously his educational background was so extensive. Uh, is it something that your whole family is like that, Bob? I mean, as far as, was that something that he himself stressed over the years, the value of education? I don't ever recall a time in my uh I don't ever recall a time in my life when education wasn't stressed. 
uh, it was always a very, very important thing for us. My father's biggest disappointment was that he never graduated from college because like a lot of those guys who came back from World War II, he wanted just to get right into life. And so he did. And that was a real regret that he had. As a result, though, when you look at it, I mean, uh, uh, we've ended up in our family, I think, where we probably have more degrees than a thermometer. But uh, that's not particularly great when you consider where they go sometimes. So, you know, anyway, sorry. <laughs> there goes your audience, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Doc. Okay, no problem. Bob, one more for Doc. Oh, sure. Well, as far as uh, your grandfather, uh, as far as when I told Chris before we came on, Doc, as far as your grandfather being one of probably more underrated uh, athletes of the century, I mean, he. when you talk 1920 sports, you think of Babe Ruth and Jack Dempsey. I mean, your, your grandfather was right there. There's no question. And you, uh, as far as when you grew up, maybe up to your pre preteen years or whatever, did you have any idea what kind of effect that man had and, and what he had done in the past? I did the first time I went to the Masters, and I saw Augusta National, and I realized that that had existed in my grandfather's mind before a spade of dirt had been turned over on the property. That was when it finally hit me. Um, you know. For me, though, in many ways, no, because my grandfather was an invalid for, my, for all of my life. And um, so to me, Bobby Jones, the golfer, was somehow kind of in my mind, this person who was divorced from the man that I knew. It wasn't until I watched the Warner Brothers videos and I heard my grandfather's voice coming out of the man that uh, I saw on all the portraits in our house that I realized they were the same person. And while I really was very proud of him, um, I was also deeply struck uh, when I heard that by the tragedy of what had happened to him in developing that horrible syringomyelia that he had. Yeah. Doc, just a couple quick quick ones before I let you go. And um, yeah. the Macklemore course, is a new sponsor of the show. I believe you had an opportunity to go play it at the grand opening last fall. Wanted to get your reactions of what you saw. Oh there. my gosh. It is just wonderful. What, uh, what Billy and Reese have been able to do with that golf course is so much fun. If I had one complaint, well, I'm going to tell you one interesting thing. They had a really unusual piece of land to work with on one of the par fives where you have to drive to a hilltop and then you have this shot down to the green that's probably a hundred feet below you. And what they did was they designed this beautiful Redan green complex down there, which basically means you're hitting into a par three. And it was absolutely brilliant, really good. The 18th hole is one of the most dramatic golf holes I think I've ever seen anywhere. Uh, and I mean that anywhere. If I had one complaint about that 18th hole is it is so magnificent and so beautiful that it almost makes you forget that you've just played 17 other really outstanding golf holes. The people up there wow. were very friendly. The place was great. Uh, and I'll tell you what, if that's my only complaint, isn't that a great complaint to have? <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> 
Yes, sir. That's awesome. It was a lot of fun. A lot of fun. Doc, before we let you go, um, you do a lot of great work for for some local charities, and you're involved in a lot of great yes. things. Remind our listeners about that and also how they can <clears throat> keep up with you, because I see you're on Twitter now. I am on Twitter, yes. I am finally learning how to tweet. Um, the, you can you can always keep up with Bobby Jones CSF, BobbyJonesCSF.org. That's the charity uh, that supports the the search for the cure for the disease that killed my grandfather. The other one, of course, is always interesting is the Bobby Jones Golf Course here in Atlanta. So that's uh, that's one that's really good too. And also, I can't help but put in a plug for my dear friend, and I know you know him, Scott Lehman, within his Grip Ministries. That's a great yeah. ministry that reaches out with the gospel for men and uses golf to do it, which is great because, you know, people have been invoking God's name on the golf course for centuries. So that's a good thing. <laughs> and then if people need to reach me, they can reach me at the Behavioral Institute of Atlanta, and that's at BIA, that's Bravo India Alpha, BIA number one dot com, and you can find my little page right in there. Doc, it's always a privilege to get to spend some time with you. We can't thank you enough for taking time out of your busy schedule to come back. You're a treat and uh, already looking forward to next time. Pleasure to meet Anytime. you. Anytime. I can't believe this was number seven. Can't believe That's it. That's right. Seven times? Lucky seven. All right. Yes, sir. Doc, take care. All the best to you and your family. We'll catch up again soon. Stay well, Bob. Same to you. Thanks, Bob. Take care. Thanks, Doc. That's the great Bobby Jones the fourth, Doctor Bobby Jones the fourth, and uh, like Bob, like I said at the top of the show and in his introduction, uh, a finer man you won't find. And um, every time you get to spend, you know, and I've been privileged like seven times now uh, to spend some time with Doc, plus an eighth time at uh, at the Tour Championship. I got to meet him in person uh, this past year at the Tour Championship. But um, there's something there's something very spiritual, something very calming, and just something very special about that time that you get to spend with Doc. And it's always uh, been very meaningful for me. Um, and um, I think it comes across to our audience because I hear a lot of really positive feedback every time Doc is on the show. And I uh, hope a little bit of that came across as uh, you got a little bit of time and hopefully we get to get you more time with Doc, you know, here again soon. Yeah, he, uh, he's definitely in the, the right business, Chris, just the calming nature of his voice and uh, that kind of education behind him. The whole, the whole family is, is incredibly gifted. So uh, that was a special guy. Yeah, I'd love to speak with him again. 